you doing? I'm great. How are you doing, Mel? <laughs> I am good. I am trying to actively stop answering the question of how you're doing with, ah, tired. <laughs> I'm like, that is my general response. And I am tired, uh, tired quite a lot, but I don't know. I just think it's like, taken okay. for granted with artists, I believe. Yeah, so I'm quite tired, but um, I'm like once again mourning the loss of my free time because mm -hmm. uh, like my entire life is taken up with practicing and practicing and then stabbing real people mm. yeah. yeah i mean seeing a few of your um pieces yeah. on some of our friends yeah it's very exciting uh yeah also i've been practicing on silicon skin uh which is a liar that lies <clears> so <throat> it can do a lot of stuff on the silicon skin, which is you know, which is a really good place to start, and definitely the best place to start when you haven't handled the machine for the first time. But you can do a lot of stuff on the skin mm -hmm. that you can't do on real people's skin. Does the skin does the skin wince and squeal and jiggle? And... I mean, it jiggles, but okay. it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't bleed, which is <laughs> I, I guess an important part of like. You know, learning. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's been that's been me. Yeah, I'm still debating my what I get from you. Yeah. <laughs> Tattoo wise. Yeah. Um, I'm busy. On You're lots super of, busy. Yeah, on lots of secret things. Lots of fun secret things. I think one of them is less secret than the others. I've been teasing them a little bit on uh, Twitter. I put up a screenshot from a script I was writing, which was uh, Thor saying, Loki, you cock. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, I, uh, I've been tweeting occasionally little things Loki's been saying, such as like, and I oop, and <laughs> wig, and things like that. Um, I'm not writing for Marvel, I yes. should just say, actually. Is it like an open secret what you're working on, or can you talk about it for special friends of the pod? <laughs> Um, no, I don't know how many people listen to this. Um, friends of the pod. Friends of the pod, yeah. So, um, at the moment I am writing uh, a Norse version of Pantheon. Um, I actually have to kind of kick everyone out of the house a little bit, because i got a deadline tomorrow to do stuff and I haven't finished it yet. Um, and it's fun and tough. It's... I make myself laugh constantly when I'm doing Pantheon <laughs> because like just the oops just the um like type of dialogue is very amusing to me and it's very it's it's quite a relief because my day job is working on kids' cartoons. Yeah. Um but there's some struggles. There's a lot of very similar myths. Mm. And they're all different enough that if you didn't include them, someone would be mad. And I know I'm going to make some people mad, but, like, they've all got, like, one really good element, but then the majority is, like, Thor goes to a giant, and the giant says, I want to marry the only female goddess that ever gets mentioned, and he's like, no, bash. And then Loki will do something really stupid and funny, and I have to include that. So, it's a little bit struggle, it's a little bit hard, but... Do you think... Um, that, especially in Western culture, Norse mythology being more well-known than Egyptian mythology, it's harder or more pressure? I think so. Um, 
I definitely felt with the Egyptian mythology I was actually teaching people mm. things. And I think this is a bit more of a case of I hope you do this or I hope you do that. Um, I think it'll be interesting for people who got introduced to North mythology, North mythology through Marvel. Mm. I think it will be interesting for them because there was literally... I read all the myths and there's literally no way I can consciously make Odin a good guy. Yeah. Like, or, th- or Thor. Um, because the entire story is them going off and massacring giants. And I've looked... There's not a single story about a giant ever doing a misdeed against the gods, like, unprovoked. And Odin literally is like, I'm going to build a wall make the giants pay for it. So it's like, I can't... I couldn't possibly read this any other way. So I actually think, even though there's a lot of Norse books, I think this might be an interesting take. Because I'm not trying to do an edgy subversion, I'm just, like, presenting them as is and, like, not coming with a kind of preconceived notion that Loki has to be the bad guy or whatever... Um, so it's interesting, but I've also found that just like bird heads are funnier than beardy (laughs) dudes. So I have to find some of the humor in other places. Segway time. Are you actually going to be doing color for, um, North mythology? Um, I might have a colorist for the first time ever properly. Wow. Um, two, uh, friends, um, did actually help with the artwork on... Uh, actually on the colouring on Dead Endia 2, mm-hmm. um, just for a couple of chapters. Um, and they're credited and paid and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Which is something we might talk about. Um, this one I might actually fuzzily have an actual paid by the publisher, like, on the books colourist. Awesome. I don't know who that is just yet, but I might be too busy to do it. Um, which will be exciting. Yeah. I mean, colour adds such a such an important vibe or extra vibe or another level mm. to any publication i don't know like would you uh i mean you'd get final say right or would somebody be doing the flats and you'd edit the flats to your color palette or i'd probably do a few sample pages and they have the first book to go off of mm. um i don't know and i'd choose someone who i like the colors of and quite often because i do a lot of directing other people uh, I actually have a, a quite, I'm not going to say low bar, but like the fact that anyone has done anything with my characters, I'm usually like, whoa, you're so amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. How did you do that? Um, so I, I think I'm quite an easy person to collaborate with. Yeah. Um, but Pantheon 1 did start as a black and white book as a Kickstarter and it was a completely black and white. It didn't even have any like yeah grayscale or anything. Um... And when it got turned into colour, I actually think that massively improved it and massively made a story about gods and multiple gods that all look a bit similar, mm. um, much easier to follow. And just in general, like it, it, I think sometimes when books are black and white and get made into colour, you aren't gaining anything and nothing was lost originally. Um... And so, ultimately, why use colour? And it has to be like a... You have to know why you're using it. If you... For example, when you're kickstarting a comic, you... A colour is like... You have to really, like, monetize this stuff. And you're like, well, at that stretch goal, the book can be in colour. Mm. And so, what 
is that do you want that to be the case or do you want to just i don't know yeah so something that is um something that works in black and white just assuming that it'll work in color because everything is better in color isn't necessarily the case yes and i think with stuff like um i guess with manga and other things that black and white usually um is thought that if it's black and white it's because of like time and budget or something or like because of um the amount of manga that gets to has to be made and how like I'm gonna say disposable, but I don't mean that. But the fact that it's assumed you might trade this off or, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, so maybe that's more a question about black and white stuff. Like, why use black and white? But I just think the worst colouring, I think, is when very little thought's put into it. And it's, like you say, it's just colour because someone decided that colour is always better. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, there's a preconception that that's true given that when uh, printing stuff, there's a reason that black and white zines, disposable, uh, quotes, zines, were black and white, was because they were done on a Xerox, because that was the cheapest option. But now we've got so many options. And, like, webcomics, the Mm. internet, there isn't actually a greater monetary difference um, between um, publishing something in colour or in black and white. Yeah, and, like everyone knows the kind of story about why there's so many like green lantern and green arrow type heroes oh because like you know when comics started certain colors were more expensive than others and so i i read how when all the kind of green lantern green arrow green those like those are the ones that have survived there was a lot of like green whatever yeah heroes came about just when became when green became a bit cheaper and so they really stood out and um, I think I was thinking how like so many superheroes' girlfriends have red hair, yeah. and it's just because like, well, you gotta make them stand out on the page. It's like the pink hair anime protagonist, yeah. And it's like red back in the day. Each color cost an amount, and so, um, I think yeah. When I when we started getting to, into comics, was a I think around the time when. Colour and black and white was exactly the same cost yeah, like, basically. on any kind of self-publishing website. So um, I think the only reason I didn't do colour for Pantheon was time. Mm. I think it was a stretch goal. Yeah. Um, so I mean, colour is an extra... A, a whole extra step in the, in the process. An extra language. Yeah, God. But um, what is your personal colour journey? It is, I think, quite similar to my lettering journey, Mm. which is that I refused to do any of it, didn't want to do any of it, and now sort of resent the idea that I want to be good at it now, (laughs) and can't be. It's not like can't (laughs) be, but, um, you know... I can draw a line like that. Mm-hmm. It is muscle memory. Yeah, I can sneeze an ink a page. That's not true, but like, <laughs> you know, that like seems the, very experimental the, zine. But the ease, the ease at which I can do lines and inks. Yeah. Um, and know 
where lines need to go and where lines are going to be look good and then not having the first fucking clue what to do with color mm. is just a bit like back to kindergarten it's a whole other skill set and it uh, we've when we started this podcast we really wanted to interview people at very specific like all our guests like we want to actually interview actual colorists and talk about that so this will be a slightly uninformed chat about <laughs> our own personal stuff but um i do remember at uni when we met us talking about it and i think it's weird because i think i have always done color but i don't I don't have any thought process going into it, and that is something I still have to learn mm. and think about. Did you use coloring pencils when you were young with a sketchbook? I think so. Yeah. I never did. Mm. And I think that's a large part of um, why I just never really got into it. Like, I only ever started colouring digitally, and that was around when I was like... 14, 15. I was big into felt tips and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I remember, um, so back when Gen 1 Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, I remember being annoyed when a Nintendo magazine we always used to get came with a poster of all 151 Pokemon. Yeah. And I was annoyed because I had been watching the anime with a staple together book of paper and oh. making my own Pokedex and marking them down. And it's still somewhere at home, and I like got all the spellings hey, wrong and stuff. Bitch. And like I was trying to mark it down, and then it was just all done for me. It was like the original Pokemon Go. You know. <laughs> I love you. <clears throat> and the thing is, I would also stick stick in stuff like the rumored playground Pokemon, which weren't real. Yeah. So like, I very remember specifically. I have a drawing of um, Blastoise's evolution, yeah. Rainer. Awesome. I don't know why. Uh, based on a, a Rainer Rain Rain yeah. ER that yeah. makes that makes kid sense uh, yeah and it's like drawn based on an overheard description from someone else who was lying somebody's <laughs> whose big sister had like got a game yeah um, so uh, that was fun and so yeah I was colouring those in because colour's like a big yeah. part of that I don't know like I okay this isn't I hated the uneven texture of like colouring pencils and like mm. crayons and just and <laughs> I hate all physicality. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and like and that's interesting because I'm gonna go on later and talk about actually how texture is a really important part of mm. colour. Um yeah, I just like never got into it, and then um, I just had you know sketchbook, sketchbook, uh, sketchbook full of um, pencil drawings, ink drawings, um, then pen ink, pen ink, um, brush, brush pen um, drawings. I just never got into it, and never had any reason to get into it, um, and I was looking uh, at my bookshelf today to bring examples of books I loved with colour. Do you want to guess how many books I had to pass before I got to my first colour book on my bookshelves? <laughs> uh, a billion. No, 30. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's always been a joke when we come back from a co comic convention and just like what our bags look like. Yeah. 
Yours looks very, you know, noir. Yeah. Mine looks like Speed Racer. Yeah. Um, um, so I think that's also a reason why I never got into colour. Was I, I don't... I mean, I can appreciate how gorgeous some colour uh, colorists the work that some colorists are doing at the moment um it's stunning mm. um but i just i don't i don't go for it i don't know i think um when i was looking at examples it's easy to well, it's not easy but it's like the first thought was oh what has lots of color mm. but actually my favorite examples have been very limited or very mm. specific choices of color yeah um and that's what I was saying earlier, like, why use colour? So sometimes when it's just, like, a spot colour, or the whole book is black and white, but, well, it's, like, monochrome, so yeah. it's, like, actually all a different colour. Like, what came, what made you choose that colour? Yeah. Um, and so, like, I, I haven't actually got on my pile, but I'm thinking of something like um, Mike Magnola. I've got, got that in my pile. Okay, well, <laughs> you talk about it. Um, no, I don't know. I guess we're going to go over to books now. Um, so, one of my favourite colourists is, um, where's the page? Uh, Dave Stewart, who works on a lot of stuff with Mike Mignola. Um, and he, um, given how, um, blocky, uh, Mignola's inking is, and how much it, I think it could work without colour. I mean, mm. I guess, you know, the red of Hellboy is really iconic. Um, but I think his art is so gorgeous. When I, I, when I see his sketches that he does um, of cover drafts, and it's no colour, and I'm like, bitch, you don't need colour. Mm. Um but uh, Dave Stewart's stuff is really interesting, um, and um, he's got a couple of different ones. So he does. Uh, he did the famous pancakes um, comic, uh, but then also the Midnight Circus is still colours by Dave Stewart, but instead of doing the really really flat um, colours that um, match Mignola's style. He does some really lovely textural, um, um, like watercolor-like coloring, mm -hmm. um, which is really interesting and fun. Well, I, yeah, I was just thinking about that as an example because, um, like you say, I think the iconic element are the shadows and the the dark, and yeah. and yeah, you could have a kind of black and white version of that. But I actually think having Hellboy always pop when you're kind of flipping through and you know what page Hellboy, Hellboy's on, mm. um, just really helps. And, like, it really makes Hellboy stand out in this world and you know that, he, you know, he's the hero. Um, and I don't know, I think, yeah, like I said, my first thought was, okay, what comics are crazily coloured and are every single colour on every single page? But... Um, what would you have chosen? What, what did you... What would have you chosen for that? Well... What would have you... For that kind of crazy colouring. Oh. So, this is quite different. Very, very different, actually. And it's actually, um, we asked Twitter, oh. and uh, I agreed <laughs> with uh, yeah. something that um, Jonathan said. Yeah. Hi, Jonathan. Um, 
apologies if this is not how it's said, but GGDG. Uh-huh. Uh, Cucumber Quest. Yeah. It is a webcomic, and it is, um, as far as I am aware, I remember, and I've got it entirely lineless, and it's just colour. Oh, wow. So It looks like sort of paper cutouts. Yeah, and it's like, you could be forgiven for thinking, if you just see, like, one isolated panel, that it's, um, super easy, shall we say. Mm. Like, if you just see one panel of a character, it's very simple, it's very, like, um, reduced. But all the comic is, is lighting. Yeah. Um, there's actually, like, a, a villain, um, gonna get his name wrong, like, the the Nightmare Knight or something? <laughs> I've not, <laughs> it's been a very long time. Um, but the villain in this book is basically a dark, shadowy knight that yeah. lives in a world completely of night. Yeah. So you're like, black on black, how is this gonna look? Um, I'm just trying to find an example of it. But it's all based on, there's always one, like, point of light so often you're just like seeing the inside of its hand like illuminated mm. and like a bit of like the beast yeah it's it's um here's, a, here's some examples of oh, it yeah. i don't think these are the pages i it's a lot of work with gradients yeah and so it's like it it it's one of those things where like i said you see one panel and you're like well, this is an easy way to make a comic. And no. Then you look at all. And you're like, this is painstaking. Yeah. This is like. I'm surprised it... I'm not seeing um, fantasy sports in your pile. <laughs> I only didn't put it in because uh, we have covered fantasy sports already. But it is interesting. One of the things that's interesting about that, and something I was going to bring up with one of my next things to talk about, mm. is the fact that the first book was black and white. And then coloured later. Yeah. Which is what I... Later for No Brow, which is what I did with Pantheon. Um, and I think you can sort of tell the difference between that book and the second book, which was drawn with colour in mind. Okay. Um, where... And that's something which I really enjoy about Cucumber Quest, is that something with Hellboy, like you said, it's... The ink is there. Colour is added, seemingly later yeah very kind of separate part of the process well like so there are um there are definitely different color artists i've got uh, the um complete short stories volume one which i've been using mm -hmm. as reference and there are definitely stories in that uh, compendium that are done by different color artists yeah and you can tell instantly you turn the page and it's a new comic and you're like boom that's a different colorist even though it's the same artist yeah um, well, so to talk on kind of that subject, I actually brought Scott Pilgrim as an example. Yeah. Just because I think that's a very famous example of a book series completely released in black and white and then completely re-released in colour. Yeah. And the colours were by Nathan Fairbane. Sorry about names. Uh, I just, you know, pronunciation. And you could argue it doesn't add anything because Scott Pilgrim takes a lot of its inspiration from manga and it looked great in black and white. There's even famously jokes made about the black and whiteness, which get edited slightly in this, and it's funny. But, boy howdy, did it make telling the characters apart easier. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, 
I it, I know it's part of the story that some of the characters look similar. Yeah. But when you have a massive cast of characters, I'm currently still I'm still reading that die die demon dies da 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 da, and like. God, I wish I could see their hair colours, just so I could sometimes remember, like, who's who. Yeah. Um, and I do think this really adds something to it, because I do think the sort of drama, and I think these came out after the film, mm. and so, like, adding a bit more they of that, did, yeah. like, uh, you know, spark and energy, and, like, the the original book's very much, like, steeped in manga, and this feels like big anime movie. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, and, like, it's, again, like, you can tell that it's line art, with someone coming in much later too, and I, I what, actually um, Nathan, I, I was trying to find it before the show because he also did the the color for seconds, mm. and he did a like diary comic about coloring it. Okay. Called something like Second Go or something I can't remember, um, and he's got like a few blog entries about how he like went about it and like a lot of it was redrawn because, as much as like going back and coloring it is fine. A lot of what was redrawn the lines or the uh, for work? Scott Pilgrim for okay. Scott uh, for the line work, but just because like some of these files are very old and very yeah, small yeah, yeah. and things like that, um, and that's I had to do the same thing for Pantheon, um, and I redrew loads of things, and I was constantly angry with past Hamish for how I just like paint bucketed so much. And... I can imagine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, if you listen to our process episode. If you're disgusted and angry and ashamed of me, think how I felt when I had to edit my own, like, year-old book. So. You learn from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. I don't think you did, though. No. no. <laughs> I have learned a little bit, yeah. It's fine. We're... Um, I, my colorists I got for those, like, that one chapter of Denendia 2, I was very careful with, like, naming everything and making everything clear and mm. blah, 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 and providing colour sheets of character stuff. Yeah. Um, so, another one that I was thinking um, that I've always... I mean, I think it's just straight up one of my favourite comics of all time is um, uh, The Now of Brown by Glyn Dillon. Um, and he has... Like, a lot of the books that I think I'm talking about are books that um, have quite a muted colour palette. Uh, I think that's what I gravitate towards. But also they have a lot of um, beautiful texture in them. And I think um, I I do really appreciate and like, um, like big, bold, flat colours. Um, but... I think there's something really gorgeous having talked about uh, how much I hated the texture of colouring pencils and pastels and crayons or whatever growing up as a kid doing art. Mm. Um, uh, the sort of like when you can see that sort of warmth in uh, a colour wash uh, and um, Dylan does that really, really well. Uh, and he basically just works in... Um, uh, watercolory um, uh, blues and reds and browns. Um, I think it's just gorgeous, and there's not there's not a huge amount of um, drastic shadows and light because it's uh, yeah it's meant to be obviously not not autobiographical. It's a um, it's a biographic mm. comic. Am I making any sense? Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, set in the real world, um, 
with real realistic lighting um yeah i just love it a lot <laughs> i know you do yeah um i'm gonna do some normie culture i got two marvel comics yeah so I bring these up because I don't buy that many Marvel comics. Yeah. So if something, usually what happens is I'll see the art of something. And it's why I get so confused when everyone, whenever anyone refers to this as Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. I'm like, what? You read it? It's David Ogers. Yeah. Like, I read this because of the art. And what I like about the colour palette, which is... The colorist for the first issue, at least, um, is for the first issue, at least. First, like uh, trade, I got it written. Yeah, down. well, because it the the um, the trade has a couple of stories in. Yes, is Matt Hollingsworth. Um, apologies in advance about us like trying to find the colorist's names because quite often they're not on the cover. Yeah. And quite often they're not even credited. Yeah. So we're doing our best to like make sure the right person's credited, but who knows. Um, so one thing I really like about this colouring is that you open the book and you instantly know you're not in the world of the Avengers and big world-ending crises and space aliens and things like that. Yeah. You, But the entire book is basically coloured with Hawkeye's costumes colours. Like, lots of purples. Um, but in a really, like, not in a kind of... Jessica Jones neo neon noiry kind of way. It's everything's very muted. Muted, and it's like he's in a very humdrum setting in an apartment block. And it basically, I, I find it just it's telling you that in comparison to an Iron Man comic or a Captain America comic or anything else, that this is just a regular person in comparison to the rest. Um, and there's like moments of seeing like other characters characters like i know that in later ones um i've seen like wolverine and spider-man in this world yeah and they like stand out and they're still muted a little bit but like the yellow and the red and blue of those characters like hawkeye looks he doesn't in contrast to hellboy space he doesn't actually stand out in this world he is sort of part of this world yeah and um, while he usually has like a purple t-shirt, I'm looking through, he's got a purple t-shirt, a purple tie, like, that helps us identify who he is, because sometimes, you know, comic characters can look quite similar. Um, it just made me go like, oh, wow, is this a Marvel comic? Yeah. And I think they do that a lot with like side characters. I haven't read like one of the main comics, uh, in a very long time, yeah. if ever. <laughs> and I'm very drawn to the side characters, because quite often they get slightly... Uh, artists and colour and artwork that's more to my taste. In contrast to that, I have All New Ghost Rider, um, which was uh, the Philippe, Philippe Smith and Tradmore run. Um, this is the kind of introduction of the Robbie Reyes. I don't. Don't, don't talk to me about mainstream no. superhero <laughs> comics, Hamish. Um, and the colourist on the uh, collection I have is Val Staples. And... Um, Again, like, never would have bought a Ghost Rider comic, but then saw, like, a page online. The colours are quite nice. Yeah, yeah. They're great. So, uh, this Ghost Rider is, like, um, the defender of, kind of, like, East Los Angeles, kind of Latino cultures and stuff like, uh, communities and stuff like that. Um, he's 
his is all about the kind of like back alley drag racing rather than like the motorbike and everything. Um, and it's weird because Ghost Rider is something that's like so trying to be cool, but it's not cool at all. Yeah. And then this managed to make me interested. And the thing I love about it is it's very colourful comic and everything's very bright and um, everything. But a bit like I was saying about Hellboy, I think when Ghost Rider, when Ghost Rider's head explodes in fire, you should feel it. And you yeah. should like be transported to a different world. Yeah, I and can see that. I feel like every time the go- like Ghost Rider shows up, it's an event. And the whole page just explodes in flame. And the way... Well, Trad Mall's the artist and does the flame, but the way it's also coloured, it's like... It feels like kind of... Um, it feels hot. It's got, like, gradients. Yeah. I mean, often the, often the like flame is white and uh, the actual flames coming off are, like, ribbons and, like, it's kind of, like, liquid and it's just... You never see where, like, the fire ends. It's always just, like, flaming off the panel. All-consuming. Um, and it just feels, like, cool. And, like, yeah. that's something I almost didn't think Ghost Rider could be. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, um, I don't know, it's just... So, when yeah. I... Yeah, I was trying to think of a few examples of, like, mainstream comics and... Well, so, it was interesting when bringing up... Because uh, I wanted to talk about uh the color palettes of indie comics mm. um and when i had that as a thought to write on our note sheet i actually think we could both talk about the color palettes of indie comics and be talking about completely different things yeah um you know like i think you know, fantasy sports uh and i think also nobrow or your nobrow work is quite colorful and neon and when i say uh, mm. indie comic colour palettes. I'm talking straight doll Margaret. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking like like Rizo Rizograph um prints and like this is my five hundred page graphic novel. It only has pink and green. Yeah. Um and I just I think it's really interesting looking at Hawkeye. Uh and you know, I think I think Hawkeye is very famous for having that very limited colour palette and as you said you it it has that for a really specific reason. Um, and like, uh, how interesting it was when I first came into, um, uh, Forbidden Planet when I was like 16 year old and I picked up, uh, Michael Turner's Soulfire, mm-hmm. uh, and it's got like such, uh, I don't even like naughties color palette mm-hmm. and I don't, I, there's not a way I can describe it, but it. Is just mm, so weird and strange, and I it makes me uncomfortable now. Like I feel like I've definitely turned towards muted color palettes, actively trying to grow out of liking that kind of like use of color. Um, hard to describe this over a podcast. I know that's the that's the joy of the doing this podcast. Yeah. Um, I think something that I feel and what I think Hawkeye does really well in comparison to a lot of the like main Marvel comics I saw was I feel the main Marvel comics have a lot of unnecessary shading and a lot of like everything is ultra shiny and my thought of Naughty's colouring is oh my god Photoshop and it's like 
everything has like black, sh uh, like black gradient sh shading, and everything is shine and stuff. Yeah. And I think something I like about cartoons and comics and like reducing the real world into illustrations is that you are trying to explain the form of something mm. using a very limited amount of. It reminds me of like. This is a really weird specific example, but you know how in actual Disney like princess movies, yeah, they there's no real shading and it's just like line and, and color. But whenever you see them like on packaging and merchandise, you'll see like a horrible picture of Cinderella with like the worst like gradient stuff around her like nose and neck, and it doesn't yeah. tell you anything. It's just unnecessary detail. Yeah. But someone has decided to make something that's more polished, mm. and I feel that the stuff that was originally in the uh, sidelines of Marvel, the kind of more quote-unquote indie, but more like niche characters with different artists, I think that is creeping back more into the mainstream because, yeah, those horrible Photoshop shading doesn't tell you anything. Um, I'm weak sometimes and I love it. <laughs> once you start, you have to do it everywhere. Yeah, so discovering... Uh, I think I would probably want to do a uh, colour process mm -hmm. podcast which might be an interesting experiment to try to do yeah but like some of the tricks of learning how to color stuff and how to do shade um and overlay and multiply and gradients and lassoing a certain area and then filling that area with a bit of a gradient so that mm -hmm. it has that still got that cell shaded um edge to it yeah like, when I discovered I could do that, I was like, what? And then I did, like, Brigantia like that for, like, ages. <laughs> Shading's wonderful, and I use it all the time, too. I just think that there's a certain style of mainstream Marvel and DC that doesn't bring me as much joy. I don't know. If something's done well, I just want to do it. And I have that problem a lot with, like, picking up a comic and, like, this is coloured gorgeously, this is shaded gorgeously... And just mm. thinking, I should do that. And then, like, turns out, actually, it's gorgeous because it takes a lot of time and effort. Um, well, hashtag Laura Dean. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm going to go on to as well. Yeah. I think my last one, really. Um, Laura Dean keeps breaking up on me. Um, artwork by Rosario Valero O'Connell. Um, and, yeah. This is not someone something you would possibly think of when you think colour in comics Be like like I said first thought was big bold as much as possible this is essentially quote unquote like black and white colour but yeah. one of the like greys that is used is pink that's a really bad sloppy way of me talking about it it's spot colour it's it's ostensibly pink spot colour but I have actually colour picked a uh, page of uh, the comic and it is not all uh, the greys are also warm, they're pink mm. um, so it's not black and white or it's not even black and grey it is black with shades of pink mm. and I was just like mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you bitch <laughs> it's really lovely and it's like I'm not going to try and, like, analyse how, like, why it's used in certain places or whatever. I think a lot of um, colour work 
is having a fucking rock solid foundation in contrast. Yes. And I think that's why Laura Dean is so good. Um, because the blacks are black, the midtones are the right fucking midtones, and the lights are beautiful, you know? And like, colour doesn't work unless you've got that whole range of uh, clear contrasts in your page. Yeah. Just the confidence it takes to send multiple panels to the publisher with just nothing in the background. Fuck. And it's that, like, you have to grow out of the idea that everyone has to... You're, you're, the only way to impress someone is by making sure every, like, frame is filled and that, you know... But yeah. what is that windowsill that you need to draw because technically it's there telling us other than more things for the eye to look past. I know, and I do this all the time. I do it all the time. And I actually got some pages back uh, of the new Brigantia, Mm -hmm. um, now done by Harriet. And I looked at them, and I opened them up. And they're beautiful. But they're like, don't even at me. Because the backgrounds are so effortlessly minimal that still convey all of that information and I'm like have you know PTSD memories of being sat on my desk fucking like using like you know I had like 18 reference photos of the inside of a museum for the first issue mm-hmm. and I'm like fuck <laughs> <laughs> different styles I know I know but yeah it's my own thing I have to get over I just think the, I don't know, the pink really guides your eye through the whole book. Yeah. So nicely. And obviously it's a romance story and it does give you a a kind of glow to the whole thing. Mm. Um, it's not quite a romance story, you know what I mean. It's, it's, a, it's a story about relationships. Yeah. I think if I had to say anything to anybody who was, like, listening to this and were just starting their art stuff, Give colour a try. Like, it's not going to bite you. And, Mm. like, if you like colour palettes, or if you like a photograph that has some really nice colour, like, colours in it, put that on Photoshop or whatever program you're using and colour pick that and use that to inform your idea of what colour is. Because, like, starting with a blank page, you're not going to get anywhere, you know? Mm -hmm. It's okay to use stuff that's there already. Yeah, um, I was going to say, I really thought about the colours in Dead Endia, and um, I used a film called Suspiria, which Dead Endia is partially named after, uh, a lot as inspiration, and yeah, screenshotting and making a folder of that. Colour palettes. Yeah, and I have a kind of rule in Dead Endia that the world is pinks and purples, but the supernatural world is greens, and so I like the idea of you flipping through the pages and knowing instinctually where things take place yeah um but i still need to get better at making these choices because i think i said in process but i just like to wiggle around with effects and layers and just see what happens like oh that looks nice okay <laughs> send it off <laughs> yeah so any final thoughts about color um not really i have one rant yeah it's very short go on but i know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover but uh-huh. If the colour on the cover is 
and the colour on the inside is so different, what have you done? What is yeah. the point? And I think there's a way, I think the fear is that if it's black and white, if you put black and white on the cover, people won't pick it up or something. But I think there's a way you can tell the reader it's black and white, even if you want to colour cover. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, I think sometimes you pick something up and the cover is, like, gorgeous and, like, detailed and textured and then you open it up and, like, it's sometimes not as good art. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I totally get getting a cover artist, right? Perfect, do it. Don't get a cover artist that's a million miles better than the artist doing the artwork in the whole book. Am I wrong? You're right. And I also think we need to do a covers episode. Yeah. Because that is something I find very hard. Let's bitch about it then. Cool. Alright, well, thank you for listening. Thank you all. Have a nice week. Or oh, Friday or weekend. <laughs> <laughs> or Monday or Tuesday. You can choose whatever day you want to have good. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Full Bleed. You can follow us on Twitter at Full Bleed Pod, where you'll also find our individual accounts. Thanks for listening!